started. Let's take our Bibles. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Thanks. 2 Peter chapter 3 tonight. And um, we're going to see what the Lord will do tonight. I've got a <clears throat> little bit different uh, message tonight and um, had one ready to go. And I've been mulling these um, quotes over for a while uh, that I read. And um, I'm going to share some of them with you tonight. They're on atheism. <clears throat> We're going to hear from the critics tonight a little bit and see how we do need to deal with that. And so tonight, we'll use a little bit of PowerPoint along the way. But I want to begin in Second Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 3. We're going to read 3 and 4, and then we're going to skip down to verse 10. <clears throat> the Bible says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, 
and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. <clears throat> now again, we've dealt with verse 10 when we were looking through some of our series in the book of Revelation. And we understand that that comes in a very, <clears throat> at the end of time here, we see that obviously there'll be a church age and then there'll be a rapture. There'll be a millennium, I mean, there'll be a seven-year tribulation period while the judgment seat of Christ is taking place above. Then there'll be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in Armageddon. We'll find that thousand-year millennial reign. And then at the end of the thousand years, of course, Satan is loosed and he goes about deceiving the nations. And we understand that then the Lord again fights the battle and ruins and wrecks Satan and his followers, casting him into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are. And then, of course, we see that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Well, that's where verse 10 falls. New heaven and new earth. We see the burning up of this old earth, this old place, this celestial ball that we call uh, home today. <clears throat> but um, that's where verse 10 lies. But nonetheless, it's coming. Without a doubt, it's going to take place. Now, <clears throat> in our passage, we see the critics, verse 3. And it says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts. There's going to be some critics along the way, aren't there? That's just life. That's the way it is. Even if it's not our faith, <clears throat> even if it's just in our work and uh, in our uh, efforts, there's always somebody that's going to be critical of what we're doing, it seems. Uh, you know, I'm amazed sometimes, you know, today we're very sensitive about young people. You know, they don't even want to tell, tell young people no today because it could hurt their psyche. It could train them up the wrong way and ruin and wreck their lives forever. Uh, it's amazing to me how ridiculous we've become when it comes to criticism. Uh, you know, and, and on the other hand, there's that other side of it, too. People like to use the word constructive criticism. Well, it's, in my opinion, it's still criticism. It's just criticism. Now, again, sometimes we, we need to learn as believers to take criticism and then to turn it into good, just like, uh, you know, Joseph did. You know, God meant it, the, uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I guess we can take it and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in my life. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with it, and it may not even be on target. It may be totally off, but we learn a few things. One thing we can learn from critics is this. Don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. Yeah. <clears throat> don't wear your feelings on your right. sleeve. We raised a, ba- a bunch of babies in America today. And it's evidenced by people being offended at everything that's said and done today in the world. We can't say anything without somebody being offended. And unless they're a Christian, they have a right to be offended. And so the fact is today is that, you know, you and I as believers, we might as well just get used to it. We might as well figure it out. We're going to have some critics. There are going to be people that don't agree with our faith or our, our, our position. And that's just the reality. And here in the passage, he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Well, we know that the last days began with the Apostle Paul, and they've come right on through. So we're in those last days. There are going to be some scoffers. There are going to be people that are going to say, hey, what in the world are you doing? I think you're a joke. And we're going to be like, okay. What are you going to do? (laughs) Those people made fun of me. You can cry about it. You can whine about it get your feelings hurt, or you can just say, hey, it's a biblical principle. I know there's going to be some scoffers in the last day. They're walking after their own lusts. We see the contention. What do these scoffers are going to say? What, what kind of approach will they take? Well, they're going to say things like, 
Where's the promise of his coming? Okay, he said he's going to come back, so where's he at? If God's really in heaven, why in the world don't we see evidence of him? How's come people are still dying? How's come horrible things happen to good people? All kind of reasons why people scoff and make fun of God and, or dismiss him in their lives. It's going to happen, though. That's just the way it is. In this particular case, he's saying, listen, where's the promise of this coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Nothing's changed. You keep saying he's coming back. I don't see him. And then we see the certainty in verse 10. By the day the, <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I like that. It will come. <clears throat> it may not be on our timetable. It may not be on theirs. We're not responsible for when the Lord returns, but he's coming back. <clears throat> he's going to make things right. He's going to set it straight. We understand that the day of the Lord begins, of course, with that tribulation period and runs right on through the thousand-year millennium. We understand that. Then it goes right on into that new heaven and new earth being created, and then a new age begins. But the fact is, is that we understand that, that it's going to transpire. It's going to take place just like he said. <clears throat> so we have the critics and the contention and the certainty here in our passage. But, you know, critics have always been with us. And their voices have always been heard from the beginning of time. And nothing's going to change that. They constantly question God. They question His Word. And in many cases, they openly reject both His Word and Him. And our day is no different. Let's go ahead and flip that on. Would you back there? <clears throat> There's some that today do the same thing. By the man, a, name, a man by the name of Joe Rogan. Joseph James, they call him Joe Rogan. He's an American stand-up comedian. He's an actor, a martial artist, sports commentator, a podcaster. He was the host of Fear Factor, if you've ever watched that show in the past. And he's also an MMA announcer. Now, it's hard to see this, but I'll read it at the bottom. Joe Rogan feels very strongly and says that, quote, every single religion that has ever been on the face of the earth ever is a cult. That's all they are, just a cult with millions of people in them. Meanwhile, they have a bunch of really bad stories that require more belief than an episode of I Dream of Genie. That's his perspective on faith and religion. It's his perspective on God. Isn't that an interesting perspective? That our stories, the ones that we find in the Word of God, are, are just stories that require more belief than an episode of I Dream of Genie. I don't know if you've ever watched those, but I have watched some of them. <clears throat> and... Uh, I believe those. But anyway, <clears throat> the fact is, is that <clears throat> the, fa <laughs> the fact is, is that Joe Rogan, and he's a, he's a very popular person. If you know anything about MMA, he's on every, it's almost every single one. He's announcing it. He's got a voice. He's got a voice. <clears throat> then there's Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is uh, an American business, uh, they say, magnet investor and philanthropist. He's the most successful investor of the 20th century. LeBron James, as a matter of fact, meets with Warren Buffett from time to time. The fact is, is that he is extremely successful in business and he is uh, an amazing, <clears throat> amazingly accomplished man in that area. Even as a child, Warren didn't subscribe to his family's religion because he was too mathematical and too logical to make the leap of faith. He adopted his father's ethical underpinning but not his belief in an unseen divinity. See, this guy does not believe in God. <clears throat> he's too smart for that. <clears throat> he, he's too scientific. He's too mathematical. He's, too, um, he's, too, he's just too intelligent for that. His parents believed, but he didn't. 
I don't know what faith they were. I don't know what religion they were. But what I do know is at least they believed in a God. This guy doesn't. One of the most powerful financial minds in the world. And yet he does not believe there's a God. I wonder who prospered him in his life. you got to wonder. We'd like to say it was God. But I would believe, and I would think biblically, that it's the God of this world. <clears throat> Here's Woody Allen. Many of you have heard of him if you're a little my age or older. He, he um, is an American actor, writer, director, comedian, and playwright whose career spans more than 50 years. Woody Allen has made his opinion of God very clear in his autobiographical movie, Stardust Memories. He says this, quote, To you, I'm an atheist. To God, I'm the loyal opposition. And another quote, he said, Not only is God dead, but just try to find a plumber on weekends, he says. He's just a comedian. So he thinks he's funny. But nonetheless, not only is God dead, he says, but just try to find a plumber on weekends. Making very light, making God a joke. His position, it's not critical, it's not serious. It's no big deal because there's no God, he's dead. And this is, this is the mentality that we're finding starting to pop up and permeate within our school system. Listen, you send your kids to public school, you better be real careful. <clears throat> this is not something that's... Uh, Uh, that's just hidden up in Hollywood. It's not something that's just... I mean, we are training a generation that there is no God. Then there's Kiera Knightley. Kiera uh, Kiera Knightley is an English actress. She began acting as a child on television and made her first film debut in 1995. You may know her from from Pride and Prejudice, the new Pride and Prejudice, or possibly Pirates of the Caribbean. Now... In 2012, Kiera was quoted saying this, If only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You just ask for forgiveness and then you'd be forgiven. It sounds much better than having to live with guilt. Well, she's right about the last part. But the point being is, is that she's saying, well, Christians or people that believe in God just ask for forgiveness. They don't have to live with the guilt. But the reality is, is that they just dismiss their actions, go along living however they want to live. Well, we know that's not the case at all. People that are the most faithful Christians are the ones that are most moral, ethical, and, and, and right with government than anyone else. Kira Knightley, it's unfortunate, beautiful woman, bad attitude, wrong thinking, has a tremendous amount of influence on people because of her looks, because of her position. Listen, don't think for a minute that our children aren't swayed by men and women in the media like this. Be very careful what you permit them to watch and see and hear. Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin is an American actress as well. She says she's a comedian, a writer, a producer, and television host. Her 2007 Emmy acceptance speech is what I want to focus on. During that acceptance speech at the Emmys, the comedian let everyone know this. Now watch this. Listen to this one. This is alarming. Quote, she said this in front of the whole crowd that night as she accepted her award. <clears throat> she said, a lot of people come up here and thank, thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. He didn't help me a bit. So all I can say is, suck it, Jesus. This award is my God now. And when she said it, she said, this award is my God now. I watched the clip. You can see it on YouTube. This award is my God, she said. Now listen, this is the mentality and the attitude that is permeating our culture and our society. Now listen, we watch them, we laugh at them. 
We think it's hysterical. But we do not have a clue what they think and what they really believe. And so often we're permitting these people to affect us without us really realizing it. I I don't know. Uh, this, This woman, I think, played on a number of different programs. I think she was on tons of programs. But let me tell you, when she says, this award is my God, that's exactly what she means. Because in her mind, there is no God. And to blaspheme the Lord Jesus like she did, that's very dangerous. You say, well, what happened to her since? She's perfectly fine. But as we'll find out, that won't be the case forever. So we have these five different people. These are all major uh, faces in our culture and our society today. Extremely popular people. If you know anything about media and you know anything about, I'd say, MMA and some other things like that. And it's pretty scary to think of what what people believe or what they don't believe. But let's be honest. The critics have always been with us. Why should this surprise us? Why should we be taken back when people say the kind of things that were said up here? When the Lord himself said, knowing this first, there shall come in the last day scoffers. And we as believers will sit back and be baffled and blown away by such ridiculous philosophies and ideologies. But this is what we're dealing with. We might as well expect it. It's not going to get better at this point. We might as well be prepared for it. And again, as we've said, there's always been those who have chosen to disregard and dismiss God and His Word as being true and authoritative. They don't want authority in their life. That's the bottom line. Today, more than at any time in history, more than at any time in history, the voices of the critics can be heard loud and clear. We have the media to do it today. We have Facebook and we have all these different avenues through the web and so forth and so on. Everybody has a voice. Everyone can say whatever they want to say. And in many cases, sometimes it's said simply for for shock value. Sometimes it's not even necessarily that they believe it quite as much as they would seem to think, but they just want to say something to get a response from people. And you know, the media today that we have in our country is very quick to recognize those people and personalities that reject the idea of God today. They're very quick to do so. Matter of fact, just this week, Arian Foster, running back for the Houston Texans, he came out and publicly expressed his belief that there is no God. Now, really, think about this for a minute. This is just a football player. But all of a sudden, it hit the headlines. It was across the country. Because some guy doesn't believe in God, all of a sudden, it's made, you know, worldwide news. But that's our media emphasizing, pushing the critics today, giving them a platform. This guy, this Arian Foster now, based on a report that I read and saw, I I watched a newscast on it, he's being hailed as the first active pro-athlete to stand up for secular Americans. He's standing up for secular Americans. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So what? Now, he's got the same platform that uh, these um, sodomite athletes have now. They come out and they say, oh, he's the first athlete to to come out and say he's gay openly, openly gay. And so they they plaster it all over the place, trying to help us understand that there's probably at least 50% of them that are. We know that's not the case at all, not even remotely close. Three to five percent of Americans may be either gay, lesbian, transgender, so transvestites, so forth and so on, 
but they make you believe it's at least 25 or 30 percent. But so we know that that's a lie too. But here we have now an athlete. But like they said, Aaron Foster may have a hard time in the locker room because there are a lot that give credit to God still. <clears throat> but today, more than any time, the critics have a position. This particular man, Arian Foster, he grew up Muslim. He read the Koran and the Bible. But now he says that he doesn't believe in God. He was uh, raised in a very open home. They were allowed to believe what they wanted to believe. And obviously, he chose not to believe. But he says this. He believes in science. Because as, as he puts it, science is provable. Well, that's more than debatable. However... It is popular with our godless culture. It's popular with our godless society, especially with the powers that be in the media. That's a very popular position. So we're going to hear a lot about that. You knock on doors today. You know what you hear? I'm an atheist. Matthew and I ran into uh, a man by the name of Keith. A nice man. Nice man. I mean, really, cordial and kind to us. But Keith is a avowed atheist. Boy, he, he had some interesting views. I'll say that. To, I'll give him that much. But it's very sad to think. I said, where did you come up with these ideas? He saw a documentary. He said it really solidified his position. I wonder who made that documentary. I wonder what real science went into it. And his idea was simply is the same as Aaron Foster, that science, science has the answers. But then when asked... I said, let me just ask you, where did all this come from? He at least honestly said this. Honestly, I don't know. That's a sad way to live, isn't it? Without answers. The constant bombardment of the criticism of the, of the criticism and the critics toward our faith can begin to take its toll on each of us. It, I mean, it's just the way it is. You get told you're wrong long enough. You get told that your faith is a joke, that you don't know what you think, and you must be ignorant because you don't have the understanding and the, 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 the background, scientific background. You don't have the education to realize that there is no God, that we figured it out finally, that we're not stupid anymore, and that honestly, anybody that has half a brain knows that there's no God, and science is king. You get that enough, and I'm telling you, you will be tempted to be wore down. It'll wear you down. So you have to be equipped. You have to be prepared. You have to be ready for it. The voices may be loud and the faces familiar. But we can't forget that they're still subject to one person. And that's the Creator. We've got to look to Him and His Word for perspective then. Because this is going to be more prevalent. Some of these young people right in front of me this morning or tonight, they hear it all the time, especially if they go to a public school. If they go to the colleges, the universities, they hear it constantly, continually. They're forever being bombarded with this mentality and this philosophy. We that are older are insulated somewhat from that a little bit. We grew up in a different era, in a different time. But it is a real problem in our culture. In Romans chapter 3, I mean, let's face it, we've we got to figure out what the Bible says about all this stuff. So turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3.
It's not about what do you think about all this. It's not about what do I think about all this. It's what does God think about all this. Where's he stand on all this mess? It's really him that's being attacked, not you and not me. It's his word, not ours, that's being attacked. So where's he stand on all this? Well, in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. Again, let God be true, but every man a liar. That means that what God says is true. What God believes is true. What God's perspective is is true. God's truth. He's right. He's always right. Man is always wrong. If there's two opposing opinions, God's right. The man is wrong. One is telling truth. The other is speaking lies. Arian Foster is a liar. Based on the fact that what he says is a lie. Because let God be true, but every man a liar. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He may be rich. He may be famous. He may have a position. He may have all the things the world says is success. He may take on the very perspective that the world says is right on, spot on. It's on target today. Man, you are with it, dude. You are all, you are all that and more. It doesn't matter because God says, no, that's a lie, friend. That's a lie. And that's God's perspective. Look, if you would, in Romans chapter 1. How in the world do we get where we're going? How is it that we've arrived here? What's taking place? What's really going on? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1. Again, somebody says, well, he has a right to his opinion. We haven't gotten that far yet. We're seeing what God's opinion is. We're not talking about the United States. I sure wish that people like that would let us have an opinion. I wish the media that will praise and elevate a man that says he doesn't believe in God, I wish that same media would allow us to stand and say, we do believe in a God and love him without being ostracized from our communities or or being treated like we are dense and stupid. I wish we had the same rights that they're now giving those that do not believe in the word of God or follow it or, or surrender to it and submit to it. So we'll get to that in a minute. You might be surprised what my position is or what I should say the Bible position is. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I think of this uh, woman on stage who stands before this crowd and basically says, This is my God. Exactly. Exactly. The Bible said that's where it would end. And actually it goes further than that. But the fact is today is that according to the Bible, they knew God at one point or at least in our culture, our society. God was here not that awfully long ago. But the problem is, is that we glorified Him not as God. You want to ruin your children? Stop glorifying Him as God. Stop elevating Him and raising Him up in your sight and in your home and in your life. Go ahead and disregard God and His Word in your life. And you'll find that if you don't glorify Him and you don't elevate Him as God then guess what? You'll find your children down the road won't be very thankful. 
And before it's over with, they'll be vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart will be darkened. Oh, you might slip on in unawares. You may make it under the radar, but they won't. And then professing themselves to be wise, they'll become fools. Because they'll think they know something they don't know. Their mind will be darkened. They will not have true wisdom. And by the way, God is the one that gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You don't get that by reading a book. You don't get that by going to college. You get that from God according to the book of Proverbs chapter 2. God gives us wisdom and God gives us knowledge. God gives us understanding. He alone protects, cares, and meets our needs. Listen, God's the key here. And unfortunately, we've disregarded God. And as a result, our foolish hearts have been darkened and we have gone just like the Bible said we would to a place where we profess ourselves to be wise, but we're simply fools. No matter what man may say, no matter what man thinks or how he feels, there is still an intelligent designer who is revealed in this book, the Bible. And it's found in Genesis 1.1. We see him there clearly outlined and clearly shared with us. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's as simple as it is. God created. He exists. And as a result, we exist because He created us. How utterly sad and futile it is for the creature to battle the Creator. Isn't it amazing? Here we have the Creator who placed us here, who's given us everything good in our life, and yet we will battle with the Creator. Amazing, isn't it? May I say that long after all the critics are gone, uh, long after the critics are gone, God and His Word will still be going strong. That's just the reality. In Psalm chapter one nineteen, turn there, would you? Psalm one nineteen, verse one sixty. Notice what the Bible says here about the Word of God. It says, Thy Word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Isn't that good? Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth how long? Forever. What he's saying is God's Word is forever. This doesn't end. Hey, this is God's Word. Guess what? There were some words that were put up on that screen. There were words that were read out loud. There are words that are being spoken every day in opposition to God and His Word. But let me tell you something. Those words will run out. They will cease to exist. But this Word will continue forever. As a child of God who loves the Lord and truly cares about the things of God, let's face it, it could be easy to become somewhat spiteful or even hateful toward those who are clearly and openly the enemies of God. It it, it could be easy to do that. But here's the thing that we cannot forget. Here's the one thing that we must remember. That we too were the enemies of God before we came to Christ. That puts it in perspective. Because it's easy for us as believers to say, man, they're stupid. And they don't know what they're talking about. I don't appreciate them attacking my God. When in reality, we were those men. We were those women. We were the enemies of God. Oh, we may not have openly said we don't believe in a God. We may not have done some of the things that are going on in this world. But God lumps us all together as the enemies of God before we come to Him. The Apostle Paul, as we noted in our study the other night, here he is telling Timothy to pray for Nero, the king, 
to pray for this, this, uh, this uh, masochistic king who's wrecking and ruining lives, who's wreaking havoc among believers all across his empire. Pray for him, he says, and you pray for him and pray for him. And one would say, why would we want to pray for a monarch who's seriously bent on destroying the very faith that we believe? And then the question has to be asked, who prayed for Paul, the apostle, before he came to Christ? If it's not God's people that love people, that care about people, that say that there's nothing impossible for God, then who will pray and who will make that difference? We too were the enemies of God. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's so easy to get high and mighty in the position that we sit in. We say, well, we're Christians today. We have the right belief. We have the right faith. So what? If it doesn't help others see Christ, what's the point? It's easy to be critical of people, just like they're critical of us and our God. That's not hard. The real issue is to be able to love people in spite of it all. To care about them and worry and be concerned about their well-being and their future. What happens to Arian Foster if he doesn't get right with God? What takes place to him? He ends up in a devil's hell. What takes place in his life? He ultimately doesn't fulfill the purpose and plan that God has for his life. He doesn't ultimately bring glory to the Lord who created him. I mean, what are we going to do with Arian Foster? Do we just write him off? Do we just say, well, he's too far gone? And who cares about Arian Foster? If he's willing to say those things, I don't care about him. I hope he vanishes. Well, who's going to pray for him? What hope does he have if the children of God don't love him? If the children of God don't come to his aid and say, hey, we're praying for you. We love you. We care about you. Truthfully, you have it all mixed up, but that's all right. We still care. We still want to see you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and understand that God's word and God are real and true. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see what you and I were? The enemies. One says, well, man, you know, Arian Foster and some of these men and women and others that are coming out and publicly stating that they don't believe in God and that they don't agree with our faith, boy, those are the enemies of God. Guess what you and I were too? Somebody prayed for us. Somebody loved us. Somebody continued to believe that there was a God big enough to handle us. Also, it's important that you and I don't forget who the real enemy is. Ephesians 6.12. Let's look at that for just a moment. Some of you may have it memorized, I'm sure, but Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. I mean, we could always go to 1 Peter 5.8. But we decided to deviate from that one because you know it too well. Our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So we, I threw this one in, Ephesians 6.12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle's not with man. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to grow embittered toward people who don't see things your way. 
Be very careful that you don't allow yourself to buy into the idea that everybody else is so wicked and sinful, but you're, the, you're okay because you have the right core beliefs. Just be real careful. We become hateful and spiteful of those who don't see things exactly the way you do, right the way you do. I'm not talking about where we all call ourselves believers and there are people standing in pulpits and disseminating and spewing out heresies. Those are, that's a bad situation. That's a mess there. We're talking about the lost today. We're talking about those that have no clue whatsoever what's taking place here. They, they, don't, have a, they don't have the faintest clue what they're talking about. Because they haven't been touched by the supernatural hand of a loving God. Oh, He's been in their life in a sense. He's provided for them in ways they'll never know. And yet the fact is they cannot see Him in the wind. They can't see Him in creation. They have yet to see Him because their foolish minds, their hearts are darkened. What the critics today need is compassion. I'm telling you, when I read some of those, I just wanted to... Didn't it, I mean, the knee-jerk reaction, especially when that girl said what she said to God. Man, I just want to drop-kick her in my flesh. But let me ask you, how far would that go to helping her see Jesus? You know, years ago, it was, it's not really happening nowadays, but abortion clinics for the longest time were having some problems with some radical Christians, I would call them. And they had every right to be upset. They, they, they were, they're murdering babies. That's all there is to it. Abortion clinics murder babies. Doctors that perform abortions are murdering babies. We're not going to mix words here. We're not going to play games. A life is a life. Amen. But what was going on was is that they, some people were so out there, they lost perspective. They started bombing these facilities. And, and people were being injured and hurt and harmed, and some even died. Now, does, do two wrongs make a right? Absolutely not. That was wrong. And they did it in the name of God. But just because someone else is murdering doesn't give you the right to do the same. Amen. And just because somebody else is putting God down, and somebody else is, is, is harming the, the integrity of our God, or at least would appear to, hey, nobody can really hurt the integrity of God. Nobody can make him any less than he is and he's creator God he's everything but we have to show compassion to people like that they don't need our contempt and here's why because one day God's patience will run out his patience will run out and the fact is is that I'm not God and neither are you they answer to him I'm not saying that we don't take a strong position for our Lord. I'm not saying that we don't stand up and say, that's not true. Let's go ahead and deal with it. The Word of God says, hey, we need to be bold enough to take a stand, without a doubt. We can't allow the critics to only be the voice, the only voice heard. However, for us to grow bitter or to go to be so critical to the point where we become contemptible toward them, we, that we, not contemptible to them, but we hold contempt toward them and that we we become bitter toward them and resentful and hateful toward them. That's not very positive and that's not going to be productive. Because the fact is, for them, one day God's patience will run out. Look at Psalms chapter 2. As believers, we are very quick to claim the love of God in our life. 
We want to believe God loves us, you know, even in the midst of our, our failures. And, you know, that we have every right to do so, and God is a loving God, cares about us. Now, listen, I, but let's, not, let's not get into this whole issue with believers now and standards. That has nothing to do with this accepting people thing. There's a whole different ballgame when you're dealing with believers that have the Word of God and say they believe it but don't exercise it. That's a different issue. I'm not talking about being mad at them or angry at them. But the fact is, is that we use the Word of God and we have to draw some lines in the sand there as well. But when it comes to people that are lost, we will, we will claim the love of God in our own life. But when it comes to sharing that love with others, we withhold it because we somehow believe they deserve what they get. Well, I'm glad I didn't get what I deserved. I, I'm not going to agree with them. I'm, you don't agree with a fool in his folly. But by the same token, Psalm chapter 2 verse 1 says, there's coming a day when God's patience runs out. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Good question. I don't have the answer either. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What they're saying is, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want anybody to require me to live a certain way or to act a certain way. I want to be my own God. That's what he's talking about. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. See, it's going to... Time, listen, his patience will wear out. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. There's coming a day when the critics will not have a God who's showing them, uh, is being patient with them. Instead, he's going to stand before them as a judge and he is going to speak to them in his wrath. They need our compassion. They don't need our contempt because one day God's patience will run out and they'll get plenty of that. And hopefully before that day they get things straightened out and understand who He is, what He's really about. In the future there will be no dissenting voices. There will be no one to say there is no God. There will be no one that will raise a fist to God. There will, that will not happen. There will be no one that will disregard His word and live their life as they please. That won't happen one day. Philippians 2 verse 9 through 11. We've read it and heard it a number of times. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of the things in heaven and things in earth. And things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Hey, there's coming a day. That's why you and I need to show them compassion. We need to show them some love because there's coming a day where there will be no love to be shown and there'll be no compassion, only the wrath of God. Matthew and I walked away from that door or from that yard talking to that wonderfully kind Keith. He was so kind. I said, I feel sorry for him. Don't you... Don't you feel sorry for people that don't get it? I mean, our first knee-jerk reaction is, wow, kick them, punch them, hit them, knock them down. 
hope something bad happens to him, saying those nasty things about our God. But let me tell you something. God's big enough to take care of his own problems. Oh, I'm certainly going to share the faith. I certainly want others to know the truth. And I'm not going to have to, I, I, I'm not going to sit back and let the critics resound and sound out and me sit in quiet and, and not say a word and just kind of shrink back because of fear. No, that's not the issue at all. But let me say this. On the other hand, my God's big enough to defend his own honor. I can honestly tell you, he doesn't need me to stand in his place. He's quite capable of dealing with his situation and his people. But I'll tell you what he wants me to do. He still wants me to be a light in darkness. He still wants me to be salt in the midst of this earth in which we live. And he wants me to love people the way he loved them. And the fact is, the only people that you ever see Christ getting on badly, really ripping to pieces, saying nasty things to in reality, were religious men and women. Not those ones that were saying, I don't believe in you. I don't believe you are God, Jesus. He didn't go to them, oh, ye generation of vipers. No, to them he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection of life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Hey, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Listen, there's still hope for you, friend. You've got to recognize who I am. And once you do that, and you come to me humbly, falling on your face before me, surrendering your will to my will, then I want you to know you will be saved. And I will wash you clean. And you can enter into my family. And you can be a part of the blessings that I have bestowed upon my family. And that's what he wants for all of them. Warren Buffett and Joe Rogan. He wants them saved. What good would it do to write a hate letter to him? What good would that do? Would that make them love Jesus more? Believe in God more? A couple very quick thoughts and we are done. One, don't oppose God, you'll lose. Don't oppose God, you'll lose. Number two, bow now. Or bow later, it's up to you. But we'll all bow. Number three, no matter how important or influential a person may appear, never forget they are still subject to God's word and his law. Don't you, don't you worry about it. God's got it under control. I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't speak up. I'm not saying you don't hold your ground. I'm not telling you not to stand firm. Well, all means we need more Christians to step up. We need people that are bold enough to, resi- to, to resound the word of God, to say, hey, this is truth. God is real today in the face of the critics. But by the same token, for us to resent them, to, to be spiteful toward them, to be hateful toward them, that would not honor Christ. And finally, four, don't be discouraged by the naysayers. God's still on the throne. And we do win. We win. See, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But we drop to verse 10 and watch. Here it is. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. In the end, God will make sure that everything is right. It's not for us to fix people. It's for us to love as God commanded us to love to be Christ-like, 
conform to the image of the Lord. To look at people that show disdain toward our God, as tough as it may be, to love them in spite of it, realizing that we were enemies of God too. That if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. God help us to have the right perspective, a biblical one, that God is big enough and that God, His patience will wear out in time. He can handle the critics. Let's us continue to handle His Word ethically, properly, carefully, and to care for people the way He cared for people. He was an example. We need to follow His example. Father, we come to You. We thank you for all you do for us.